On the crest of a hill in Macau, China, stands the ruins of a massive cathedral. Majestic stone steps lead up to its ornate facade. On the summit stands a great bronze cross defying storm and weather. But who built it? How and why is it abandoned? You don't watch that show? Mysteries of the Abandoned on Science Channel? Yeah. Yeah, they, every abandoned place they show, they, that, that's the tagline, right? This isn't one of them on the show, but this is the ruins of St. Paul Church built in the 17th century by Jesuit priests. In 1835, a typhoon and a resulting fire inside gutted the church and brought most of it down except for the front, which stands today as a landmark. When Sir John Browning, then governor of Hong Kong, visited the site after its destruction, he was so impressed by that uplifted cross, which seemed to defy the ravages of nature, he wrote a poem, which became a hymn. In the cross of Christ I glory, which we sung at the beginning of the service today. Towering over the wrecks of time, all the light of sacred story gathers round its head sublime. For almost 200 years, tens of thousands of visitors, maybe, maybe even millions, have gazed upon that ruin and cross. Some look with indifference, some with curiosity, some with reverence. Let's imagine ourselves standing there gazing on that cross, still standing after the onslaught of time and weather. And huh, there have been a lot of typhoons gone through Hong Kong since 1835. This cross is a reminder that the cross of Jesus Christ is nothing less than the power of God. 5,000 miles away from Hong Kong, in the center of what was once the Roman Empire, lies another abandoned landmark, Corinth, once vibrant and cosmopolitan Greek city. Centuries of conquests and destructive earthquakes finally rendered the city uninhabitable by the mid-1800s. But in the Apostle Paul's day, it was a busy commercial place. The people there were all trying to make a living selling this, selling that, following all the current modern trends, putting their trust in their leaders, their politicians to keep things running well so that they could maintain their livelihoods. Now religiously, the people of Corinth followed, followed all the, cur the current spiritual trends as well. They worshipped a pantheon of gods in statue form, mostly. They tried to appease these deities with their chants and their prayers so they could get what they wanted out of them. And you can imagine the kinds of things people wanted to get from these gods, right? Anything and everything that benefited them, like increased business, increased revenue, protection from invading armies, health, prosperity, right? good weather, 
Jew, Greek, Roman, Arab, African, it didn't matter. They all wanted the same thing. So you can imagine then when Paul showed up here and began preaching the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it was a stumbling block to the citizens there. And it wouldn't necessarily have been like Paul would have been thrown out, rejected for what he was saying. You know, they, wouldn't, they, wouldn't, they weren't saying, we don't believe you, get out. It would have been more like, okay, well, you seem to have a God and we've got gods. We'll just add yours to ours. And we'll all go about our business. Not unlike today's kind of thinking, is it? You know, it's kind of like the, the coexist bumper sticker, right? You see, you know, you got your God, I got mine. We'll all get along fine. To the Jews in Corinth, however, there was a little more stumbling going on over the block. See, to the person of Israelite descent and a, and a Hebrew worldview, the idea that God's chosen one would die or give his life on a cross was utter nonsense. That was not what God's chosen one was about. And this was all despite their own prophet Isaiah having predicted the suffering and death of the Messiah centuries earlier. To any believer, Jew or pagan, the notion that God would suffer was, well, it was laughable. Certainly, God would have the power and authority to avoid suffering. Something so human and evil as suffering. Now, perhaps this pagan view is still embedded in human thinking today because in our society, we do everything we can to avoid suffering. We Christians don't want to suffer. Sometimes we even see our suffering as a sign of God's disapproval of us or something that we've done in the past. It's not a sign. It's sin itself that causes the suffering. Sin causes suffering, the sin of bodily malfunction because of the sin we inherit from the fall of creation or suffering consequences of behaviors such as substance abuse. If suffering is a sign, well, then <laughs> it's a sign that something's not right in the world. Now, the Jews looked for signs and miracles as proof that God was still with them. And their ultimate demand for proof that Jesus was the Messiah was that he conquer the Roman Empire, throw them all out with his power, and restore the Jews to their land. You know, they, looked, they were looking for something military and spectacular to happen. Even today, people are looking for signs and miracles from God. Faith-based experiences over God's word. And it's his word which brings life and healing. This was Corinth too in the first century. So it's kind of amazing that we have this bridge, so to speak, spiritually, with a time and place so distant. To the Greeks, the message of the cross was foolishness, very much a reaction today. Greeks long ago believed the body was corrupt. It was evil and something that you wanted to get out of, escape from. Only the spiritual and the philosophical had value. 
And this way of thinking came from the philosophers of old. You know, those old Greek philosophers you studied in college, right? Plato, Socrates, Aristotle. Those guys existed around the time of the Hebrew prophets, hundreds of years before Jesus. Amazing how the thoughts of just a few men could influence the thinking of an entire civilization. To the Greeks, the very idea of the incarnation of God becoming man, well, that was a revolting thought. Even though in their own mythology, they had their gods coming to earth in human form to mess around with humans in a kind of chess game. It was an insult, however, to suggest anything like that outside their own narrative. Zeus and Hera and all those gods meddled in human affairs for their own selfish pleasure. Well, the cross is foolishness to people today because many believe God is impersonal. He's not interested in the, fair, in the affairs of humanity. Believing in a God who really doesn't care about you can make the cross seem foolish, irrelevant, not worth anything. We Christians are looked upon by many as not relevant to society. You see it more and more online, especially after a, a tragedy or a disaster. We don't need more prayer. We need action. We need solutions, not prayer. We're seen as people who believe in fairy tales, but you know this already. And you and I also know what happened on the cross is true wisdom that saves. This is eternal life, Jesus says, that they know you, Father, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This so-called foolish message remains the power and wisdom of God. We may be thousands of miles away from this abandoned city, but we are as ever close to those who believe there in Jesus that distance and time means nothing. Paul infers here in our text today that the people there who had been drawn into Christ and built up the church were not for the most part the elite of society. The early church there was mostly the simplest and humblest of people, yet even some of the highest ranks in society also came to believe. So what Paul is saying is God calls people from all different backgrounds, education and experience. He makes all types of people his church. Every year, we gather to hear the foolishness of the cross proclaimed. Every Lent, we prepare for the events that will lead up to Easter and the resurrection of Christ. We walk the difficult roads to Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives, Gethsemane, and other places culminating at the top of the hill where the cross was planted in the ground and Jesus was nailed to it. We know what will happen. We hear the familiar shouts again, crucify him. We're drawn to these events year after year. Why? Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men.
because the weakness of God is stronger than men. The world will see us as foolish and weak, but we don't live in our own wisdom or our own strength. We live in Christ's. Paul reminds the church then and now that Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. It is enough. For my power is made perfect in your weakness. That's why Paul can say, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And he's not talking about his own inner strength. Paul preached the cross with power, as did all the apostles. They preached the cross with power because it is the power of God. All the treasures of God's wisdom and knowledge is bound up in his son, Jesus Christ, and are now to be seen in the foolishness and weak act of the crucifixion and the ongoing foolishness of people like me preaching about it and people like you telling others about it. Now, people are going to say what they want to say, see what they want to see, hear what they want to hear, believe what they want to believe when it comes to faith. But when it comes to being saved from an eternal death, we hear what God wants us to hear get what he wants to give us and believe what he's written in his word. We have faith which he so graciously gave us and continues to nurture by his means of grace, baptism and frequent communion at his altar. It's foolishness and a stumbling block to many. But to those who believe in the crucified and risen Lord, they have salvation. You and I have it because we trust in what God wants us to see and hear. So you never know. One day, perhaps there'll be an earthquake or a powerful storm, and this place will collapse, leaving the front and the cross standing. And people will come from all over to stand and gaze, it and, gaze at it and ask, Who built it? How? And why is it abandoned? Most importantly, though, some will gaze on the cross and be up, uplifted that it is in the cross of Christ they glory. It is in the, Christ of, the cross of Christ you and I glory. Towering above the wrecks of time, peace is there that knows no measure joys that through all time abide. And may it be so for you. And may the peace of God, which passes all human understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.